0: Choice Church, make it today.
1: and kingdoms will bow down and every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise for who can stop the Lord Almighty God who comes to save, he's here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power, fighting our battles and every sins of this world his blood breaks the chains every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb every knee will bow before him sing this as your truth this morning who can stop the lord Who can stop the Lord Almighty Who can stop the Lord Almighty Who can stop our Lord Our God is a Lion, the Lion of Judah
0: Glory to Jesus, glory to the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells among us. Well, This next song uh, has me thinking, as a mother, I sometimes wish I had a couple other hands or maybe another set of eyeballs, but the writer of this song saw fit to ponder what it might be like to have a thousand tongues, to sing the praises of our God. And this isn't a thousand people, but we have many here. So let's sing this to his glory. In his
2: name. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my. Wow.
0: This next song, I want to give you a a quick reminder. Hopefully you've been dwelling on this all week. Hopefully this is how you already live. But I wanted to really quickly remind you the words that Pastor Brian shared with us last week, that the presence of God is in this room. He's already filling this space because that's who he is. That's what he's promised. But his call to us and what glorifies his name is when we allow the Holy Spirit to indwell when we say yes to him, with no exception, right? Can have my yes, Lord, with no exception. Come live and reign and rule in my heart and my life. Take me to the uncomfortable places. Tell me what to say yes to, what to say no to. Lead me, guide me, where should I go? This is the spirit filled life. As we sing this next song, may we as a people be singing that in our heart. This is what glorifies Him. This is the altar, the burning, living sacrifice that we talk about in Romans 12 1 and 2. So let's sing this together.
2: We've had enough of getting everything we want, and we are weary of living this life just for us, and though forgive us seeking uh, seeking your hand and not your face, won't you come and empty us, Father we're dead,
3: in so many ways we've already begun to pray this morning as we worship. It doesn't get any simpler than just to say we want more and more and more and more and more of you. Father, stoke the fire in our hearts this morning. Speak to us, Lord. Whether we come into this place, Lord, everything going well, everything feeling well, life being good, (laughs) or whether we come into this place with deep struggles, Father, you say, welcome, come in. And we ask for more and more of your spirit. Father, it is not possible for us to have enough of who you are. So we just ask you continue to pour yourself out on us today. Thank you for what we have in this place. Thank you that we can even say those things to you. Thank you that we can ask for more of you. Thank you that you are not a God of limits, but you are unlimited, you are limitless, you are unlimited in your love for us and what you want to do for us and how you want to use us. So Father, today as we come, as we worship, as we pray, as we ask for more, Lord, reveal your purpose for each and every one of us. You have called every single one of us today to be your light into the world we live in, in our homes, in our work, in our communities, Father, may this be a time of renewing and recharging and refreshing today as we just open ourselves to what you would say to us and how you would pour into us this morning. Thank you so much, Lord, that you hear every single one of us and know us and that today we can have a one-on-one conversation with you in the midst of our church family. Bless us now in our time. Bless the word that will be brought to us. Bless us, Lord, in all that we say and do in your name.
4: Have a new addition to our faith family, uh, the Christina and Clay Gates, welcomed their child into this world, their daughter Anya, this week. So that was the eighth one we we're expecting. We know we've got a couple more coming, so that, that's always exciting news. But we also get to introduce you today for the first time. Um, Owen is here today. So, Sarah, do you mind standing, Sarah? We introduce Owen to our his, his church family. There he is. And uh, we're not going to clap. Go ahead. All right. If you wake him up, though, it's your fault. So, okay. If you wake him up, I'll put him back to sleep here in just a few minutes. So it, it's all good. So well, Sarah, so good to have you and Owen with us. I'm so excited for, for you and Tom and Willow. And, and uh, God certainly has been uh, working in our faith family, growing it naturally, so to speak. We certainly love that. But we also want to see people grow because they're coming to know who Christ is and to accept uh, the saving grace uh, that Jesus provides for us through his actions on the cross and enter into this life of relationship with him and and uh, able to fulfill the purpose he has for us. And we, we are able to do that through the giving of the Holy Spirit that God promised and gave to us, a spirit that enables and, and equips us to fulfill his purposes. And we've been having this conversation the last several weeks about holy smoke, about the smoke that we leave behind when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, to work through us, to, to work out of us. We began this conversation by talking about imitation smoke. And, and real uh, people who like to smoke meat and then barbecue and grill, you've seen the imitation smoke, you can kind of squirt on the meat and just, it's just not the real thing. You know the difference. And the truth is our world knows the difference too between the imitation and the real. You can see it, uh, you, you can tell. And I promised you several weeks ago that I was going to start going to, as I do, as I sacrifice often for my faith family, visiting barbecue places around our area. And I have to admit, I've been here now a little over a year, and I'm a little upset with you. It took someone 12 months to take me to Uncle Beth's. Shame on you. That is worth going to in month one. Month one. So they I, I feel a little deprived. But I'm glad I discovered that local treasure. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, look up Uncle Beth's Barbecue. You will not be disappointed. That's the real thing. And it is well, uh, well visited by many people in our area. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. I'm not sure where I'm going to go next week, but uh, I've tried a few others in the area. They're just, well, I won't call them imitations. They just don't quite measure up, right? Okay? And we can kind of use the same analogy when it comes to faith in church, can't we? They, they kind of look good sound good. When it comes down to it, when you sit down at the table and you put on the bib, just don't measure up. Maybe it's the size. Really what makes barbecue, you can have a good barbecue. If you have really cheap side dishes, it just kind of taints the whole experience. So we're all important in this. We're all part of what's being served, if you will, to our world. And we want to be genuine. We don't want to be an imitation. We also don't want to be that type of smoked meat, if you will, that you have to lather in barbecue sauce. Sometimes you can cover up bad cooking with a little bit of extra barbecue sauce, or hot sauce, or ketchup. You ever have someone who puts ketchup on a steak? I hope you only ate with them one time, because you shouldn't eat with them again. Okay, (laughs) just just once. (laughs) Yeah, that's just not right. Now, well done, a perfectly cooked steak, a good steak doesn't require any type of sauce. But, (laughs) I <laughs> see. I'm speaking to. I know, who, I know who I'm talking to today. Often in our faith life, we try to cover up what's perhaps not the best prepared by adding a little bit of sauce. Last week we've talked about covering up the work that God does in our life, letting the world kind of paint over the smoke stains, and to where there's nothing left to see, where there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And today we're going to talk about um, continuing this conversation of. What does holiness look like? After a year together, you, you hopefully have caught on. Maybe you haven't yet, and that's okay too. That I often speak of, of the practical application of what we find in God's word. What we read and hear should change how we live. It should change how we treat one another. It, it, it's a guide not just in how we relate with God, but how we relate with others. So when God does something in our lives, when the Holy Spirit moves in us, when the Holy Spirit moves into us, it should change how we then interact with everyone else. At times in our history, holiness has been described as a, or, or as, as a descriptor, if you will, has been kind of a characteristic, an external thing. And if we kind of paint it in that picture, what we end up with is, well, does holiness have red hair? Believe it or not, I used to have red hair. There's was about six kids ago that had red hair. Um, don't have red hair anymore. We could use holiness as a descriptor of blue eyes or 11 fingers, nine toes, whatever you want to do. We, we can make it something visual. While there should be something to see when it comes to living out a holy life, holiness is much better defined by what we do, by who or whose we are. See, holiness speaks to being, to becoming, to fulfilling. That's not a new idea. We see this explained to us in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus. And I will admit to you, I haven't spoken often out of the book of Leviticus, but there's some valuable teachings in there if we just open up our hearts and our minds, see what God has for us. See, in the book of Leviticus, we see the answers to the question of, if I have this holy God who wants to then draw near to me and enter into a relationship with me, how then do I approach him? How should I approach him? What should that look like? How do I enter into and stay in a relationship with with God. We'll be reading out of Exodus chapter 19 today, and a little bit later about out of Acts chapter 3, so if you want to mark those in your Bibles, you can go ahead and do that. But we read in Exodus this book of laws, if you will, and that in itself could be a little uh, mundane for those of us who don't think they still apply, but oftentimes they do if we just look a little bit deeper. In the first 16 chapters of Leviticus, we see this explanation of how we're to live this life of purity, and, and, and these rules of hygiene, and, and these rules where God's giving his people boundaries and instructions on how they can live a life that's healthy and honorable. Uh, then he gets into, if you will, in, in Leviticus chapter 16, or before that, the uh, Levitical laws, the priestly laws, how the priests are to, to act, what they're to do, and how they're to perform their duties. And we get to Leviticus 16, we see this transition, where then we see this idea of atonement become a reality where God explains to to his people what it looks like to sacrifice and how the blood of the sacrifice will atone for their sins. The the atonement, the atonement, to be at one with God, to bridge that separation between God and his people. Then we get to the next Leviticus 19. After God explains what atonement looks like and what they're to do so that they could be in relationship with him, now God tells them what that's going to look like. God invites them to draw near to him. But once we draw near to God, our lives should look different. And here's what the difference looks like. Beginning in verses 1 through 4, I'm not going to read all of Leviticus 19. I'm going to jump around a little bit. But there's some important things here that I think should speak to us this morning. Beginning with verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father. You must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. So God begins this explanation of, of what this life looks like as we walk with him. He says, Speak to the entire assembly, Moses, not just the priests. Speak to everyone and say to them, This is what you're called to be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. We jump down to verse 16 that gives us some more instructions on what this looks like. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Hmm. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear, ju- or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. We jump down to verse 33 and 34. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See, Leviticus talks about how the people are now to live. For 400 years, God had been silent. God raised up Moses, God called Moses to go back to Egypt brought about the exodus and the ten plagues. Pharaoh finally said, yes, you can go. They cross over the Red Sea. They're now in the wilderness. Now God shows up to live among his people. But when he shows up, he expects his people to change, to live life differently. This invitation that God gives to them First is described through this How to live life How to live a pure life How to live a hygienic life How to live a healthy life He he describes the priestly roles He then goes through atonement Sacrifice Invitation becomes God's people Now you're God's people This is what you should look like This is how you should live life It's not about what you wear or don't wear What you even do or don't do Or how you look on the outside It's all about what's on the inside To all people now, Dr. Crocker at General Assembly uh, just a few weeks ago talked about how we are all called to be priests. We all have this priestly call as the people of God. We see this reiterated in Leviticus chapter 19. Say to everyone, the entire assembly of Israel, be holy. As I am holy. But then we see this shift. It, it's, we're first invited to be with God. And that's a beautiful invitation. If you've not yet come to this place where you are with God, he is still inviting people today to draw near to him, to, to walk with him. But then once we are, are with God, there's a shift that occurs. And we see this shift in Leviticus 19. We're then invited, encouraged, compelled to become like God. Church, being with God it is the initial point of salvation. Is that enough to get to heaven? Yes, being with him is important. If we accept our salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are with him. But if that's where we stop, we can have a lot of conversations about that. we stop right there, then I believe we won't be with him long. Because our world tends to tug and to pull us in different directions. We have to recognize the next part of the conversation is we're invited then to be like God. Now that could be a little overwhelming. That could be something like, wow, I, I can't do that. That's too much for me. And you're right. It is too much for us on our own. But God sees fit to give us someone who helps us to be like him, the Holy Spirit. See, first we're invited to draw near to God, and then we're asked to stay there. The staying there requires us to become like him. It's called a holiness. It begins with and is, about and is all about our relationship with God. This vertical relationship, if you will, begins at atonement, at the at one with God, our salvation experience. The moment we say yes to Jesus Christ and ask for his forgiveness, there's this vertical relationship that begins, this up-and-down relationship. As God draws near to us, that we decide that we want this, that we want to be with him. We confess our sins. We, we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we begin and we make this vertical connection. But then we get to Leviticus 19 where we begin to see now this horizontal expression of what our faith should look like. The how is provided for us. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. What we see in Leviticus 19, if you're really paying attention, is a summary of the Ten Commandments. We could go back and review them if you'd like to. It says, each of you must respect his mother and father. Does that sound familiar? You must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make gods of cast metal for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. Jumping down to to verses 33 and 34, he says, When aliens live among you in your land, do not mistreat them. An alien living with you must be treated as one of your native-born. Love him as yourself. Love your neighbor. Again, we we see this all throughout God's word. These aren't new things for us. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Don't gossip. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. Don't hate. Don't seek revenge. Don't hold a grudge. It says at the end of verse 19, then I'm the Lord, keep my decrees. Don't just connect with me, stay with me. Stay here with me, walk with me, be with me, become like me. But see, this is where the cycle begins, isn't it? It's this horizontal invitation. As we tend to, at times, like the idea of sitting next to God. So I got these two chairs, and I'm going to sit down here, and God's just draw near to me, and we're just sitting together. We kind of like that, don't we? The idea of sitting next to God, leaning over and chit-chatting and talking to him. Then, you know, life kind of gets in the way. Before we know it, well, hey, God, I'm still real close here, but, you know, I start to kind of make my own decisions, following his decrees, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time. And then that leads to, you know, a little bit more. You're know, like, all right, say, hey, God, you know, we're still pretty close. This is not too bad. Hey, hey, high five, God. You know, we're kind of interacting. It's not too bad. I just keep drifting before I know it He's kind of still at arm's length, but you know a little bit further a little bit harder to reach him Before too long I can't reach him anymore. I still see him he's still right there But i've started to do things my own way I like to hold on to grudges once in a while, especially when i've been wronged Am I alone in that I, you know, I'm not slandering someone just because I'm telling the truth about them. I mean, just—that's not really gossip if it's true. And if I say God bless their heart, love <laughs> my neighbor. Well, I love most of them, most of the time. If they're not annoying. Except that one guy, but God understands that. <laughs> yeah. I just keep going. I've drawn near initially. The vertical, now no longer vertical. Now it's at an angle. Talk about angles here in just a few moments and why they're important. Before I know it, I'm not with him anymore. So not only is I've got the horizontal wrong, but now I've messed up the vertical. I'm not like him. Because I'm not like him, then I'm no longer... And it's so subtle, it's it's so simple, yet often we don't even recognize it, or maybe we do. And we've just gotten to the point in our life where we've learned to justify it. We've learned to make it okay. We've gotten really good at excusing it. I've moved away from God throughout leviticus 19 god gives moses these words tell the people that i am the lord 16 times there's this reminder this is who i am i'm inviting you to be like me as you're with me i'm inviting you to be like me and this is who i am so be like me you ever been in a place in your life where you've asked where are you god Interesting thing about God is He doesn't move; we do. I wonder, if perhaps, sometimes—not all the time—but sometimes the better question might be: Is where am I? We see in Matthew chapter five in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches this message, gives us this message: "Be perfect, as my Father in heaven is perfect. Be like my Father." This idea of perfection—it speaks to be complete, to being whole of just being in the middle of this relationship that we're invited to be a part of. It's a message that we see all throughout Scripture. Draw near to me. That's what this book is crying out. Draw near to me. Be like me. Treat others the way I treat them. Walk intimately with me. Get to know me. This invitation of drawing close is then followed by this instruction, then remain once you're here. Stay here. It's safe here. Here has this promise of a beautiful eternity. Remain here. In the New Testament, we see this expression of the coming Christ, of God literally drawing near to his people. How Jesus himself becomes a source of our atonement, our once and for all sacrifice for our sins. God drawing so close that he laughed with his people, and he walked with his people, and he cried with his people. He healed his people, he taught his people, he spoke to them, he heard them, he listened to them, touched them, and he invited them to follow them. We see the same calling, we receive the same calling in our own lives, and we see the same expression of being in our lives today. Now, I've never been one to put bumper stickers on my car my my daughter's got this sticker for the soccer team she plays on, and she's just dying to put it on my truck. And I keep telling her those stickers are specifically for vans, and, and not trucks. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't believe me. <laughs> but I remember growing up, there was a bumper sticker it was quite popular. Perhaps you remember it. It Said, "God is my co-pilot." Remember that? God is my co-pilot. And you just picture it: two seats. You, you in a seat, and you're flying the plane, God sitting next to you. <laughs> my previous ministries, I've, I've had the opportunity of ministering to some pilots. Uh, at one of my churches, there was a pilot who talked about, uh, he had his own plane for a while, and he would invite people to go fly with him, but he'd often tell the story about how he'd survived crashing his plane into a tree and hanging upside down. I never flew with him. I had no interest in that. <laughs> I've had a couple of commercial pilots attend to my church, and then during lunches and conversations with them, um, they, they were, I learned a lot about flying. And, and one of the things I learned about is this, this um, importance of one degree. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about our, our evangelistic temperature and raising our evangelistic temperature one degree, and many of you have done that. And I, I thank you for, for taking up that challenge and for choosing to raise your temperature one degree. But this is a different type of degree. It's kind of a degree of a circle. If you don't know, a circle is made up of 360 degrees. That's why it's so round, 360 degrees. And uh, this speaks to this idea of, of your bearing, or the course in which you're flying an airplane. Uh, when you're going to leave one airport and get to another airport, there's a, you know, to get to your destination, there's a bearing you have to choose to fly at. And once you get your bearing set, uh, pilots are aware of, there's this very critical thing called the, the rule of 1 in 60. The 1 in 60 rule is simply this. For every degree that you are off course, after 60 miles, you'll miss your target by 1 mile. Now, on a small scale, maybe not too bad. If you're only flying 60 miles, that's okay, unless that one is in the middle of a lake or an ocean or side of a mountain. The longer you fly off course, the farther we land away from our destination. The church, the longer we drift, even by one degree, may not seem like much. The further we get away from our destination. It's so important for us to recognize that. Because in our culture today, we're really good at saying, that's not that bad. Just one little vice. Just one show, just one type of music, just one type of social media, whatever it might be. If it pulls me away from the vertical, it ends up in the long run being deadly. It costs us something. See, God invites us to sit next to him. To remain there. That's what we're called to do. Leviticus, though, helps us stay on course. Jesus' teaching it helps us to know what it looks like to follow after him. God's call to be holy enables us to keep our bearings. What's your destination? Maybe that's the question we should begin with. We love this idea of being saved from ourselves, being saved from our sins. Do we ever really give a lot of thought to what eternity looks like? It's a long time. It's all time. And I don't want to be separated from God simply for a a quick worldly pleasure. Or something this world might offer me that's temporary. And I've got to be honest with you. If I'm sitting in this seat flying the plane, I'm in the wrong seat. If God's my co-pilot, the wrong person's flying the plane. Now I've got to be willing to get up and say, God, you sit here and I'll sit here. You fly, I'll follow. You show me the way, and I'll try to duplicate and replicate and to be who you want me to be. Perhaps today some of us need to switch seats. Maybe some of us have drifted a little bit too far. And it's a beautiful thing. If you realize you're off course, all you got to do is some calculations in your head or ask the autopilot what you're to do or ask air traffic control, and they'll help you adjust your bearing. You don't have to go backwards and start and go and retrace your steps. Just start over. And our God and His grace allows us to readjust and to get back on track. See, Leviticus speaks to us about the importance of this vertical. But then the book of Acts helps us with the practical. This horizontal expression of what drawing near to God looks like, what holiness looks like. Acts chapter 3. Boy, we see this incredible expression. Uh, then responds to the giving of the Holy Spirit that we've read about previously in Acts chapter two. And here we have Peter. I love Peter. I, I like Peter because I relate to Peter a lot. I'm probably a lot more like Peter than I realize. Peter, we understand, he was kind of impulsive. He'd often put his foot in his mouth, and and he would. Uh, but he got a few things right along the way. So he got all these pieces, He just had them in the wrong order. But right before Jesus was crucified and arrested, at the Last Supper, Peter. Uh, first he tells Jesus, I'll I'll never desert you. Jesus calls him out, says this very night, not only will you desert me, you'll deny me. Peter's really humbled in a very powerful and profound way. This fisherman, who really didn't have a way with words, then 50 days later after Christ's ascension, or resurrection, I'm sorry, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and we see this incredible message that Peter gives, and thousands are saved on that first day, and the people continue to be saved, and we read in Acts chapter 3 this encounter that Peter has with one man, a man who's lame, who can't walk. Scripture tells us one day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. This man sees Peter and John. is doesn't know anything about them. They're nothing special. They don't look any different. Too often we might think of those that are holy that maybe they walk a little differently. Maybe they've got this golden glow behind them. Or, or, or the halo. They didn't have any of that. They just look like anybody else. They're going to the temple to pray. And here's this beautiful thing we read. When Peter and John, when a lame man saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. That's why he was there. That's what his job was. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Lots happened in Peter's life. He's still just a fisherman, doesn't have any money. Took my kids fishing yesterday, and then if we had to live on what we caught, we'd be awful hungry today. You might be better at fishing than we are. Peter finds himself at a place where he doesn't have any money. Look what Peter says. Watch what Peter does. Then Peter says, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. That's pretty bold. From the guy that just denied Jesus Christ. That's pretty bold. That's a far cry from where who he had been. So Peter goes from saying, Jesus, I'll never desert you to, to being humbled in a very profound way to now saying in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Then taking him by the right hand, Peter goes a step further Then just say it. He then acts and believes it. Reaches down and grabs the man's hand and he lifts him up, believing completely under what was about to happen. Scripture tells us instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. The man was asking for one thing. Peter didn't have it. I wonder. often wonder, what, if Peter did have money in his pocket, what would Peter have done? I'm glad we don't have to think too hard on that because we don't know. But Peter simply gave the man what he did have. God within him the Christ that remained in him, the Holy Spirit that had been given to him. The man jumps up. He began to walk. What a beautiful passage. If you keep reading, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, it wasn't just walking, he's now praising God. They recognized him as the same man who used to be begging, sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Church... (laughs) I don't believe our world is filled with wonder and amazement anymore. Why? Because I think we do give the world what we have. We give what we have. And we can't give them what we don't have. That's why this conversation is so important for us. That's why we have to get it right. That's why we have to be willing to have this this, God of, am I an imitation? God, have I allowed this world to cover up in me what you've poured into me? Because we give what we have, church. If we don't have it, we can't give it. And the world, I believe, is dying to see wonder and amazement from the church, from God's people, from those who are in this vertical relationship with him, those who have remained in him. Are we off just a degree? degrees? Obviously, the more degrees you get, the further away we find ourselves. In Leviticus, uh, God is leading his people through the wilderness. He's given them these rules, and and for a season, the people did well. We also know in the Old Testament what begins to happen, and eventually we end up with these prophecies, and and, and we see this incredible story and and this description in Isaiah chapter 1. And Isaiah tells us in chapter 1 uh, that God's kind of had enough, and he says to his people, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Of course, we know Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of their evil ways. And it's God's message to Isaiah, to his own people, he likens them to Sodom and Gomorrah. If you look at our culture today, we're not so far off, are we? The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, or the fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me. Who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable. New moons and Sabbaths and convocations, I can't bear your worthless assemblies. Your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing with them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. See, when we drift and we go through the religious motions, God tells us what his response is. He wants the vertical. He wants to be in the pilot seat. He wants us to be sitting next to him. He wants us to remain in him. We might be tempted to say, well, that doesn't apply or describe us. That that can't be us. That that was written for someone else. Isn't it interesting how all of Scripture is written for someone else? Seriously. That's not for me. That's for this guy right here. I hope the one behind me is listening because they really need this. Oh, I hope my wife or my husband's listening. They could really benefit from this. It's always meant for someone else, right? Can I ask you a favor today? Can this just be between you and God today? No one else. Would we be humble and honest enough to say, Lord, would you speak to me? Do I need to hear this? Where am I at, God? Am I next to you? Or am I a few degrees off? So we see in Isaiah chapter 2, we're not going to go there today, but if you read Isaiah chapter 2, what you'll find is a scene where the land is filled with idols. We have idols in our homes and our lives today, church. I'm not talking about other people. i talking about us. You have disconnect between the vertical and the horizontal in your life? Well, is there brokenness, hurt, damage, discord, or frustration in your relationship with others and with God. We find ourselves in these situations where we've got this discord in our lives. Our tendency is to look at what others have done or, or how they have caused it, and maybe they have caused it, but we're often very slow or too slow to ask, do I have a part in this? Am I part of the brokenness? Am I part of the hurt? Am I part of the separation? Am I part of the frustration? Am I part of the damage? Am I part of the discord? Am I part of the slander? Am I part of the dishonor? Am I part of not loving people the way I've been instructed to love them? See, we're given these instructions in Leviticus of how to interact with one another. And we have this expectation of the world, that, and we get frustrated with the world, but here's the thing, the world behaves exactly as they should be, right? If you are given over to Satan, you behave the way Satan wants you to behave. The world's doing what they should be doing. The problem is often the church is not doing what it should be doing. We've got a chance to fix that. We've got a chance to correct our bearings, so to speak. In Galatians chapter 5, uh, Paul gives us this visual expression of what holiness is to look like in our lives. Uh, in beginning verses 14 and 15, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, now doesn't that attractive, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Most churches today are destroyed not by the world, but from the inside out. So Paul writes, I say, Walk by the Spirit. <laughs> Walk by the Spirit. Not just draw, sit next to God, then become like God. Walk with God. Follow Him. Be like Him. If you keep reading in Galatians chapter 5, we get to a passage we all know very well. The fruit of the Spirit, what's it look like? We love one another. We are joyful people. We live with peace with each other. We forbear We forgive, we're kind, we're we're good, we're faithful, we're gentle, and we show self-control. I've shared this with you before. I'll share it many times with you today today, and in the future. Fruit in this context, the Greek word is fruit, is singular. It's all or nothing. If you're going to remain in me, this is what life looks like, God says. So we keep growing, we keep striving, we keep reading, we, we keep praying, because I don't know about you, but I struggle at times with some of them. That's where we continue to walk and to grow and to let the Holy Spirit help us to become who he was sent to help us become, to fill us. Let me jump back to Acts chapter 3. We give what we have. From out of us comes what is inside of us, church. We give what we have. We have discontent, anger, bitterness, frustration, or hurt. That's what we give. If we drift or wander or life that's a little bit off course, we compromise, that's what we give. If our bearings have led us into the world, allowing the world to fill us, that's what we give. See, the horizontal is always an expression of the vertical. If the vertical isn't right, then what we give can't be either. See, this vertical relationship has to be at zero degrees, meaning it's a straight line. If I get off one degree, two degrees, three degrees, I get further and further away from my pilot. What I give you is what was inside of me. Get up and walk. Peter's words to the beggar, those are my words to you this morning. Get up and walk. I invite you to stand and Jamie's gonna come and here's what we're gonna do today. I, one of my mentors, had a chance to reconnect with Marlon at General Assembly, and one thing that he said and taught me that says, stuck with me is every message should have a response, something that we do. And every message should not end with us closing the Bible and say, oh, that was good. That was interesting. That was nice. It should be something that moves us to do something. Maybe I don't always get that right. We have some seats in the front row, and not, not all of them. That's okay. You got to stay right there. Stay right where you're at. Here's what I think needs to happen today. I think there's some that are in the wrong seat. And today their response needs to tangibly be getting up, walking, sitting in a different chair, asking God once again to take over, getting this vertical right. And for others, maybe the vertical's in a good place, but we're we're struggling with what following looks like. We're struggling to love, we're, we're struggling to, to, to forgive, we're struggling with this bitterness that we, maybe that this hurt or this wound we've been carrying, and we can't get the horizontal right because we're still holding on to some things that we've gotta let go of. Maybe we find ourselves drifting and we've gotta get up from where we're at. The only way to get back from here to there is stand up. To go back. But God who's never moved sit back down again so we have some seats in the front row and we have some places at the altar and, and I don't know what you're going to do I don't it doesn't matter to me I'm just sharing what's on my heart I, I am excited about what I believe God has for us in the days ahead but before we get to the days ahead we've got to get the vertical and the horizontal right in our own lives and that's the season I believe that we're in and if it's a message that you've grown weary of I, I'm, I'm not sorry Don't want us to fall short of who God wants us to be. I want us to be a church where, when we interact with this world, with our community, there's wonder and amazement. Because of how good we are. I know me. I know you. We're not that wonderful or amazing. Some of you are. (laughs) But God is. It might be we might be willing to ask ourselves, God, am I in the wrong seat? Do I need to take that step of faith? That 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 action? It's easy. I, response can be in your, your seat where you're at. Response can be I understand that. But I also believe Satan sometimes keeps us there. He keeps us there. Because he knows if I if I just stay here, then it's kind of real, but not real. And I end up going through the same cycle of motions again. So, church, here's my prayer for you. Are you in the wrong seat today? Are you willing to get up and say, God, you sit here. Let's pray together, Father. May it begin with me. Lord, I'm in the wrong seat today. My interactions with others this week have been less than glorifying to you. And for that, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, when I get the horizontal wrong, it's evidence that I'm really not right in the vertical either. So, Father, I pray today that your people, if they're hearing your voice, and I think that you are speaking. God, we won't be afraid what others might think, the questions they might ask. This has nothing to do with anybody else. Me and you, us and you, God. Speaking to you, I invite you to come. Get up and walk. (laughs) Change seats. You have a loving God who's waiting, waiting for you this morning. As we worship and the Lord speaks, our altars are open, there's some seats in the front if you need to come. Church, let's readjust our bearings this morning. Shoot And thank you for your presence today. As Amy shared, you not only filled this room, but you're in the works right now of filling us as well. Lord, I won't drag this out. I, not my practice, but I will give you the time and the space you need. I want to pray for those who right now, maybe they're just gripping the front of the seat in front of them, Lord, and just arguing with themselves, not with you justifying amongst themselves, trying to rationalize in their own heart that that they're okay. I praise you, Lord, for those that are. That they're setting the example, that they're leading the way. And Lord, I know they're in this place. I see it, I see the fruits of their lives. Lord, there's some that are just, they're just imitations today. There's some that allow the world to cover up the evidence of the work of the Spirit that had occurred in their lives before. There's some even here today, Lord, that are in the wrong seat or they have drifted, their bearings are off course and, Lord, they've just decided, they've chosen the things of this world are more important than that ver- getting that vertical right with you. God, I pray in your loving, gracious way that you'd remind them that you're still here for them. For the one who hears you but saying no, Not today, not yet. Whisper to them, Lord, that they're still loved. That you're still waiting, that you're still here. God, I have a a world in front of me, in front of us in this community, Lord, that's waiting to see the wonder and amazement that comes from your Holy Spirit. Thank you god for what you're doing what you have done in this place today what you're going to continue to do among us as we as your people continue to remain in you you lord are our destination keep our bearing straight in jesus name we pray God bless you today. Get up and walk. Go and share your story. Praise God along the way and watch what
2: happens.